0: Revelation 21 is where we are. It's also going to be projected on the wall. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Revelation 21, 1 through 5. This is God speaking to us. It's his word. And so let's give it our attention. Here's what the apostle John saw in his vision. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city. Nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Let's pray together and ask God to help us understand this portion of his word. Father, we come now again as a people who are broken and needy, as people who have fallen away from the original intent of our creation because we turned away and fall, fell away from you. And Father, we come to you tonight, some of us knowing that that is the case in our lives, some of us tonight very aware and cognizant of our own shortcomings and our own sinfulness, and desperate, but desperately looking for a remedy and for a cure. Some of us tonight, Father, might be here having had a, a last couple of days of particular darkness and sadness because you find yourself at Christmas oftentimes realizing how alone you really are, even though you might be around people that you've known your whole life. Some of us might have been physically all by ourselves and afraid and scared and lonely. Some of us, Father, this week have seen family and been around people that were not normally around and old wounds and scars have come up again in our lives and we're thinking about those things. Father, perhaps some of us are here tonight and we've just had a great Christmas. We love being with our family. Everything's gone well. We're enjoying time off of the regular schedule of our lives. Father, no matter where we're coming from tonight, emotionally or spiritually, no matter whether whether we are people of faith in Jesus or not, we pray tonight that you would come here and through this portion of your word, open up our eyes to see what is true, open up our ears to hear what you have for us, And grant to us faith to believe that, yes, we are broken and sinful and worthy of rejection in many ways by you, a holy God. But that's not the only thing that's true about us. It's also true that you are gracious. That you are kind and that in Jesus you have forgiven us for all of our sins. You have not rejected us. No, you have opened up your arms to us and beckoned us to come to you in faith. You didn't wait for us to reach a certain moral plateau before you would have us. No, God, you came and you took care of all that is wrong with our lives, of all that is wrong with this world, and brought us back into your family. And tonight, Father, we ask that you would help us to believe that the completion of your great work of redemption, the end of the story of God, is greater than anything we can imagine. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Every couple of years, uh, there's a a glut of new books that hits Barnes & Noble and hits, I guess all the other bookstores have gone out of business now, but the local bookstores, and uh, these books are oftentimes about heaven. You know, a couple of years ago, there was the Heaven is for Real book. A couple of years before that, Mitch Albom wrote the book. I think it was Seven People You Meet in Heaven or something like that. These are New York Times bestsellers sell millions of copies. A couple of years ago, I was also reading Time Magazine, and on the front page of Time Magazine was an article by John Meacham, who is a well-known author and historian, and the article was called, What is Heaven Really Like?, and uh, it's actually quite an interesting article. Whether you're coming from a position of faith in Jesus or not, I would commend it to you. You could probably go to Time's website and find it. Um, but just the general cultural consensus seems to tell us that there's a large amount of interest in the idea in the topic of heaven. People who are Christians and people who aren't Christians are interested in thinking about, hearing about, talking about what heaven is. What is it going to be like? Um, Most Christians probably don't think about heaven nearly as much as they ought to. I know I don't. And I would also venture to guess that most Christians have less than fully biblical ideas swimming in their head, at least to some degree, about what heaven is really like. When you think about heaven here tonight, what pops into your mind? You know, as a pastor, I get to talk to people about all sorts of theological questions, and I've asked that question of people from time to time. And oftentimes, well, let me just show you an image. When I ask them, what do you think heaven will be like, they will, they will project an image like this. Go ahead, Tim. Something like that. Or maybe, uh, show me the next image. Something like that. You know, the, the clouds, the, it's serene, it's sort of nebulous, it's, it's airy, you know. You're way up there. Dancing on the clouds with harps, angels, halos, all that stuff's going on. Very, very few people, however, when thinking about what heaven is like, have this image come into their minds. Solid, mountains, trees, rivers, things you can touch. And even fewer people, when they think about heaven, have this image. A city full, chocked full of life and activity and people. What is it that you think of when you think of heaven? Well, the Bible here at the very end paints a beautiful and dazzling picture for us about what heaven is like. And as we conclude this series, the story of God tonight, I want to talk to you just for a couple of minutes about heaven. It's one of the best things in the world we could ever think about, so it would be worth our time to spend a few minutes talking about it tonight. And really, the story of God ends with God triumphing, with God winning, with God emerging victorious over all evil, over all oppression, over all the sadness and darkness that human sin brings into this world. And in the end, God brings us, in many ways, back to what His original intent was. Remember, way back in Genesis 1, God wanted... And created humanity and this entire universe to magnify, to reflect his own glory, and people in general to commune with him, to enjoy fellowship with him. But all of that was ruined, at least for a time, in the human fall, as we have seen. Heaven really is God bringing everything back together, it's God restoring and renewing what he originally intended to do in creation. It's God, it's God bringing us back to him and keeping us there with Him forever. Now, I want to think tonight, as we think about heaven, as we think about the God who triumphs, I want to think about this in two different ways, and I've got to lay this groundwork just for a minute so that you'll get where I'm going. Uh, Here's the groundwork. The heaven that exists presently, and there is a heaven that exists presently, according to the Bible, is not the same as the heaven that will one day exist. There is a heaven that if... Someone who is a believer in Jesus, according to Christianity, if someone dies who believes in Jesus, they immediately are judged by God. And they are judged solely based on whether or not they place their faith in the Lord Jesus. If they did believe in the Lord Jesus, they go to heaven. They are with the Lord, spiritually present with him right this very moment. But the Bible tells us that that is not the final destination for believers. It's not the final destination for you or for me. Because one day, Jesus is going to return. He's come once and the Bible tells us that he's going to come again. And when Jesus comes again, he is going to judge all men. He's going to vanquish Satan and all of his demons. And he is going to, as we read here, usher in a new creation a new earth and a new heavens, the new Jerusalem, the new city of God, and He is going to come and dwell with us forever. That is the heaven that awaits us as believers. That is what is in store with us forever. And so what I want to do tonight is give you just a couple of glimpses from Scripture about what heaven is like now, the present heaven, and about what heaven will be like Our eternal home when Jesus comes back in triumphant victory. Okay? And so we're gonna get to Revelation 21 in just a few minutes, but first I wanna talk with you about what the present heaven is like. What is heaven like now? And by this, again, I mean, I mean the current heaven, where believers in Jesus go at the moment of their death where they wait for the return of Jesus. Just like Christians who are still alive. If you're here and you're a Christian, you're waiting for the return of Jesus. If you're a Christian and you die, you continue to wait for the return of Jesus, but you do that in heaven. Now, what is that heaven like? I want to tell you three things real quick, okay? What is heaven like? First, it's better. It's better by far. In fact, Paul tells us that, the Apostle Paul, in Philippians chapter 1. He's kind of arguing with himself in Philippians chapter 1 about whether it's worth it to keep on going on. You might have had that argument in your own head in recent days. And what Paul says there is, to live is Christ, but to die is what? Anybody know? Gain. To die is gain. It's better, if you're a believer in Jesus, to die, And then in verse 21 he says, or in verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two to live or to die. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Okay, that's good news. Merry Christmas. We can go home happy. Everything about this sermon, by the way, is happy. Um, Heaven is happy. Heaven is better by far. Your relatives who are believers in Jesus, your friends who are believers in Jesus, the moment they die, they are ushered into a place of utter perfection, of utter glory, of utter beauty in the presence of the risen Savior Jesus. Heaven is superior. Our worst moment in the present heaven is much better than our best moment in this life. It's better by far. Secondly, heaven is, the present heaven is, is home. It's home. Interestingly, Paul talks about this as well. In places like 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says things like this, we are of good courage, we'd rather be away from the body and at home, at home with the Lord. But whether we're at home or away, we make it our Aim to please him. So he's, he's echoing Philippians 1 there. He's, he's saying that in some way, the present heaven, the place that exists right now when we die, where we go, it's, it's not bodily. We're not going to have bodies there. But it is, it's homely. It's a place where we feel at rest, where we feel at home. I remember after my, uh, my first semester of college at Baylor University, we'd play in the Cotton Bowl Thursday at noon. So you know. And uh, after my first semester, I went home for the Christmas breaks. And uh, I had a pretty good semester. You know, it wasn't horrible or tragic. Nothing really terrible happened to me in my first semester. But I will never forget uh, as a 19-year-old freshman in college pulling into my city, Amarillo, Texas, in the panhandle, and driving down I-40 and exiting Bell Avenue and turning left and going into my neighborhood and getting onto my street and parking my car, which barely made it from Waco to Amarillo, um, in the, on the curb of the side of my house and, and putting the car in park and getting out. And as I got out of my car, my dog came running out of the front door. I hadn't, seen my, I hadn't been home once the whole semester. And, and then my mom came out. And uh, I, I hadn't had a terrible semester, but I, I just went to my mom and I just gave my mom a huge hug. And I started crying. Because at that moment, I realized how much I had missed home. I had missed my mom's cooking. I had missed my own bed. I'd missed my dog. I'd kind of missed my younger brothers a little. But I was glad to be home. You know what that feels like? Some of you may have had that feeling even this week at Christmas. That's that's exactly how heaven is going to feel. You will feel more at home there than you ever feel in this world. Heaven is better by far. Heaven is home. But thirdly, the present heaven, the heaven that now exists, is temporary. Revelation 21, our text, tells us as much. John says there, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, verse 1, had passed away. And the sea, the sea there represents all that is evil and bad. The sea was, was no more. So the present heaven is great. It's better by far. It's like home. But it is, John says, the scripture says, it is Temporary. It's going to pass away and something different, something better, something new is going to take its place at the return of Jesus. Randy Alcorn is a Christian author who's written an excellent book on heaven. I commend it to you all. If you haven't read it, it's tremendous. And in that book, he gives a really great illustration about the difference between the present heaven and the future heaven, the temporary nature of the present heaven. And here's the illustration he gives. He says, imagine that you are a homeless person living in Miami, kind of on the streets, and you make your way into a homeless shelter from time to time just to get hot food and to get a shower. And one day you're in the homeless shelter and you receive a piece of of mail from a distant relative. And this distant relative has, has donated to you, has bequeathed to you, right? You have inherited this massive piece of property with a mansion on it that overlooks the Pacific Ocean in Santa Barbara, California. It's great. And along with this information is a one-way ticket from Miami to Santa Barbara. And so you hop on the first plane you can get on to make your way to Santa Barbara, your new home, which has been given to you free of charge by this long-lost relative who, out of sheer grace, in his mysterious ways, gave you this property. But on the way to Santa Barbara, your flight stops, like every flight seems to stop, at DFW. And while you're in DFW, you actually uh, meet up with some relatives that you haven't seen in a long time who are going to Santa Barbara with you, who are going to live around you. And you see some friends that you ran into years ago but haven't seen since. You're in DFW. It's it's much, much better than the homeless shelter in Miami. But it's not your final destination. When the ticket agent in the airport asks you where you're going, you're not going to say, I'm going to Dallas to hang out at the Starbucks in Terminal D. No, you're saying, I'm on the way to Santa Barbara by way of Dallas. And really, that's exactly what the present heaven is like. It's much, much better than our current lives. It's going to be homely. It's going to be superior in every way, but it's not our final destination. It's not not home. And, And so that leads us into Revelation 21 a little bit more fully. If that's what the present heaven is like, what will heaven be like? What is it? That God, in his grace, has won for us. And here's the main thing you need to get if you want to understand heaven. Heaven is going to be great, but it's not the end of the world. And I mean that literally. Look at what the text says. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. You see, in the eternal kingdom that God is going to give to his people, heaven and earth are their one. The the new heavens is the new earth. It's not that we're going to sort of float with our harps on angel dust up there. No, God is going to come down here. You see, God is going to finish the work that he began in creation. He's not going to annihilate this cosmos and start all over from scratch. No. He is going to renew and redeem everything about this fallen world. All remnants of sin. Everything that tarnishes God's original good creation is going to be wiped out. Clean, pure, radiant. A new heavens and a new earth. All together in this great city forever. That is what the new heavens is going to be like. That is what awaits us. Paul tells us amazing, or not Paul, John tells us amazing things here. Four things I want to point out to you really quickly. We saw three things about the present heavens, four things about the heaven and the earth, the new heavens and the new earth, the eternal kingdom of God that is to come. First, as I mentioned already in a sense, it is earthly. (laughs) Ironically, and maybe counterintuitively, heaven is going to be earthly. Um, Again, you see there that the new heavens and the new earth come. They come down, verse 2, out of heaven from God in the form of this city, New Jerusalem. The new heaven is going to be, well, it's going to be a physical place that our physical bodies can occupy. It's going to be full of things that we can touch and things that we can see and things that we can smell and things that we can taste. You want to know what heaven's going to be like? Look around. Think about what you most enjoy. In the present world, the mountains that you love to hike in in Colorado, the rivers and oceans that you love to swim in, the dirt that you love to to plant in and play in, all of those things are going to be there waiting for you in the new heavens and in the new earth. Only all of those things are going to be there, completely eradicated of all brokenness, of all sinfulness, of all impurity. It's going to be, it's going to be very, very physical. It's going to be very, very earthly. It's a new earth. It's exactly what God originally intended. He's giving you an entire creation to explore, to plan, to love, to enjoy forever with him. He's also giving you a new body. It's earthly and it's bodily. Jesus already has his new body. That's why Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus is the the first fruits of the resurrection. We too will receive the benefits of Jesus' resurrection by getting our own resurrection body. One day there's not going to be any more pain or any more sorrow or any more physical brokenness. I love what Joni Erickson Tada writes. She is a paraplegic, I believe, or a quadriplegic who's a Christian author. And she's written a lot about heaven. And here's one very powerful paragraph that makes the point much better than I could. Listen. She writes, I still can hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulders down, will one day have a new body. Light. Bright, clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. Can you imagine, she says, the hope this gives someone who is spinal cord injured like me, or someone who is cerebral palsied? brain injured, or who has multiple sclerosis. Imagine the hope this gives someone who is manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ, do hurting people find such incredible hope. That's what heaven is going to be like. Full of all the physical beauty of this world. Full of all the physical beauty of the human body and completely absent of frailty. Second, the new heavens and the new earth, will be it will be urban. I mean, look in verse 2. Paul says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. And then really from chapter, verse 9 all the way through the end of chapter 21, he explains and describes this city of God, the New Jerusalem, in in more detail. It's the capital city of the new earth. It's the place where God makes his home. Now, don't think that just because the new heavens and earth is urban that you folks that love South Texas country aren't going to have any country to go bury your gold, your new heavens and new earth gold, and your I guess your new heavens and your new earth guns. Those will be there, I guess, maybe. Uh, it, it's not to say there's not going to be any rural. There's not going to be any country. But, but the centerpiece of the new heavens and the new earth is this city. And really, I think what we can learn from this is that all of the Beautiful, great things that come in the great cities in our world. Places like London and Paris and New York will be there in heaven. And by that I mean that it will be diverse. It will be dense. And it will be full of bustling creative activity. I remember when uh, I was in seminary in Philadelphia, I would often go up to New York City, and I loved visiting New York, because you, sort, you, know, you feel like you're in the center of the universe when you're there. And the first time I ever went, I drove up from Philadelphia and parked in a parking lot in Staten Island. And I took the Staten Island Ferry, I don't know if you've ever taken that, from Staten Island across the river to Manhattan. And, uh, you know, I'm a little West Texas kid, hadn't been out of Texas for more than like five months, and I get on the Staten Island Ferry, and I'm looking around, and... You know, there's like 20 languages being spoken. And there's all sorts of diversity, racial diversity, ethnic diversity, linguistic diversity. And I'm just like, whoa. And this place is different. (laughs) It's different from West Texas. And in many ways, that's a remarkable picture of what heaven will be like. It's going, to be, it's going to be full of all the beautiful things that cities provide us and completely removed of all of the horribly wicked things that cities are, are often with as well. It's going to be full of people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation. It's going to be full of all sorts of languages, people praising God in their own tongues, and yet we will be able to understand it. We will be able to interact with it. It's going to be urban. Third, it's going to be creative. It's going to be creative. Now stay with me here, because this might be my, well, this might be my favorite part. Um, It's a city, but later on in chapter 21, Paul, John tells us, verse 24, that by its light, that's the light of the Lamb, the nations will walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. And then down in verse 26, they, the kings, will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false. Now, John there is relying on Isaiah, many parts of Isaiah, especially Isaiah chapter 60. And he's saying that that the new heavens and the new earth is going to be full. I think it's very fair to draw this conclusion. It's going to be full of all of the beauty and cultural artifacts that we have in this world, yet completely removed of any idolatrous, wicked desire or motive. What does that mean practically? Here's what I think it means. We're going to listen to Bach in heaven. We're going to look at Michelangelo's paintings in heaven. I think we're going to play sports in heaven, except hockey. There's no hockey in heaven. But most other sports will be there. Um, heaven is going to be full of all sorts of cultural activity. Every, every good, noble human endeavor in this world is somehow going to make its way into the next world. Listen to this quote from Bruce Milne. Nothing of ultimate worth from the long history of the nations will be omitted from the heavenly community. Everything which authentically reflects the God of truth, all that is abiding in worth from within the national stories and cultural inheritance of the world's peoples will find its place in the New Jerusalem. That's cool. And Herbin Bovink, one of the great Reformed theologians, wrote this. All that is true... Honorable, just, pure, pleasing, and commendable in the whole of creation, in heaven and on earth, is gathered up in the future city of God, renewed, recreated, boosted to its highest glory. You know, if you've been a Christian for a while, my guess is you've either thought yourself or heard someone think or say, man, what are we going to do up there forever? I don't even like singing. I'm not in the choir. I'm not going to be on the praise team. Is that all it's going to be? Just me with the angels singing? It's going to get boring. What's going to happen? It's going to be the least boring place you could ever imagine. If you want to study engineering and architecture, if you want to learn to paint, if you want to spend time talking with the great genius Christians of the past, you'll be able to do all of those things in heaven. It's going to be full of the creative diversity of all of our cultures. It's going to have all of the beautiful artifacts that our culture has produced there for us to enjoy with God along with us. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be incredible. The books, the music, the food, the fun. Heaven Heaven is earth brought to its utter fullest climax. Heaven is is what God originally intended. It's, It's urban. It's creative. It's, what was the first point? I can't remember it. Earthly, thank you. And then the last thing, and probably the most important thing, about the heaven that is to come, about what's going to happen to us when God triumphs, is that heaven is communal. It's communal. Look with me again in chapter 21. Almost done. Hang in there. I heard a loud voice from the throne, verse 3, saying, Behold, the dwelling place, the house, the temple of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Heaven is going to be communal. All of your friends and family who were believers and followers of Jesus, who fought the good fight and ran the good race, and have died in faith, you will see again in glory. You will speak with them again. You will look them again in the face. You will hug their perfect resurrection bodies. It's going to be a beautiful, rich community of believers with one another. It's going to be an opportunity for you to meet Christians that have influenced you that you'll never meet in this life. I can't wait to sit down with C.S. Lewis. I can't wait to talk with Jonathan Edwards. I can't wait to have a beer with Luther because I'm sure there's going to be that beer there because Luther's there. Those two things go hand in hand. I can't wait to hang out with these great saints of the past. Heaven is going to be, it's going to be communal. We will be with family members and friends who have gone before us. We will be with the great Christian saints of the past. Jonathan Edwards wrote this, Every Christian friend that goes before us from this world is a ransomed spirit waiting to welcome us into heaven. There will be the infant that only lived a few days that we have lost below. Through grace they will be reunited again. The Christian father, mother, wife, child, and friend, we shall renew the fellowship of the saints which death interrupted and which shall be commenced again there and shall never end. So, heaven's going to be communal. You will see those who have gone before us and passed before us. But finally, heaven is going to be communal because you will ultimately commune with God himself. And after all, that's the focal point of the entire passage. The bride comes down and meets her husband and the dwelling place of God is with man. God doesn't take us up to live with him. The text says God comes down and lives with us, just like we've just been talking about in the incarnation. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God will be their God. That's the fundamental promise of the entire Bible. And in heaven, it is finally and forever fulfilled. In heaven, you will see the face of God in the person of Jesus. And in that moment, the sorrow of your life Pain that you presently experience. The darkness that seems to encroach upon you all the time will be but a passing glimpse. You will gaze into the face of Jesus, who died on the cross so that you can be pardoned forever, who was raised up from the dead, assuring your eternal salvation. And he will look at you and, with outstretched arm, wipe the tears from your face. And in that moment, the sadness, The loneliness, the pain, the depression, the grim realities that face you every day now will have all been worthwhile because you get to see Jesus. In that moment, you will no longer struggle with whatever physical pains torment you now. In that moment, your present relationships will no longer be broken, but renewed forever. In that moment, you won't ever feel alone or lost or wandering again. In that moment, you will never doubt whether God is really listening, whether he is really near. In that moment, in that moment, all of the gloom, all of the weeping, all of the bitterness of this life will be thrown out with a mere touch from Jesus. You will see him, see him as he is, and heaven is heaven because Jesus is the king of that place. Heaven is only heaven because the king of heaven dwells there with us. There will be no need for a son because Jesus will be the light. As he was the light of the world in his birth, so then he will be literally the light of this entire perfected universe, the light of your life. That is what is in store for those who trust him. Want that? Long to go there. Best news of all is that it's completely free. You don't have to do anything to get there, you don't have to work your way to that place. You don't have to be super religious, spiritual person in order to earn it from God. You don't have to do anything except receive it because it's all of grace. You don't have to do anything to make sure your place there is secure because it's all because of God's love for you. God has done it all already. All you have to do is fall and rest into that truth. Will you do that? Will you fall into the truth that God has triumphed already in Jesus and one day you will enjoy the spoils, the fruit of his triumph with him forever. Merely trust that that is true. Believe in the gospel and he will never let you get Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace to us in the gospel. We pray that you would help us as your people to be cognizant of what awaits us in heaven. And God, um, forgive us for our our lack of mental fortitude and awareness in thinking on these things. And, oh, Father, we ask as we enter into a new year that you would enable us to more and more press forward to the prize that awaits us the ability to enjoy all that you've created for us in perfection forever, the ability to see lost friends and relatives and to meet new brothers and sisters in Jesus, but most of all, the ability, the the opportunity to dwell with you as you come and dwell with us, oh God. We long for that day. And Father, we pray that you would give to us the faith that is required to enter into that place. No works are required. No moralism is required. No ability is required. Nothing is required of us except to see our own need and to run to Jesus in faith who has done it all for us. Help us to do that even now. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.